Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. This is just a short little section. Two blind men receive sight in Matthew 20, 29 through uh, 34. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. So as we've been going through the Gospels, we have seen Jesus heal people before. And, um, but before we delve deeply into this short encounter and what it means and what's happening, let's talk about some of the scholarly issues um, that you might not be aware of. But um, since I'm always studying this stuff, they, there's always scholarly issues that arise with this passage. Um, when you compare this particular passage with Mark and Luke that tell the same story, in Mark and Luke, it mentions one blind man, and here in Matthew, it mentions two uh, blind men. Um, and most likely, Matthew was focused on the number of people healed. Um, Mark and Luke were probably more focused on the main speaker, because it says they shouted out, Lord, have mercy on us. I seriously doubt they both shouted out in unison. As we all know, if you have a friend or someone you hang with, there's usually the vocal one, and then the person that sits there and like, yeah, I agree. Um, so Mark and Luke are most likely focused on uh, the speaker, the main speaker, while Matthew um, was focused on pointing out that this was the Messiah to the Jews. So he was focused on the number of people that were healed. Um, another notable discrepancy is that Matthew and Mark both say that Jesus was leaving Jericho, while Luke says that he was arriving in Jericho. Um, and in this period, um, I don't know if you've noticed that. I don't know how many people sit there and look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke all together just to look at it. But um, in this period, um, and this is noted by the Jewish historian Josephus, there are two j different Jerichos. Um, there's the older town on the hill um, that was largely in ruins. And then there was the newer Herodian means um, built by in King Herod's time by him. Um, there was a newer town about a mile away. So there were two Jerichos. Uh, Matthew and Mark are writing to the Jews. So they're going to mention the old town because of the historical significance of Jericho to the Jews, of what happened there in the Old Testament, right? But Luke is writing to a Gentile audience. So he's referring to the newer Jericho as that would be what they would look at as Jericho. It would have more significance to them because it was it was, was the Romans would say was Jericho. Uh, it's a pretty simple explanation and one that we can easily understand. It'd be like in our town, if you wanted to give someone directions and you said, oh, it's where the old Publix was. Depends on how far back you want to go, right? Every abandoned building we have around here or Dollar Tree used to be a Publix, okay? Um, so this is what happened uh, in that uh, section. That's why two of them say leaving and one says arriving. Um, so in this encounter, Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. He's headed into Jerusalem for the uh, Passover. He's coming to the end, coming up to the crucifixion. And if I time it right, we might get to do the crucifixion on Christmas Eve. That'd be beautiful um, for all our visitors. We're like, you wanted a light message? It's not going to be. Um, 
I'm just kidding. If you know me, we're going to take a lot longer than that. Um, so he's, he's on his way. Um, there are large crowds of people walking with him to go into Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the Passover. And as he's headed there, two blind men are sitting by the roadside. And they hear that Jesus is passing by, and so they shout out to him, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus responds with a question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He probably knows, right? But he asks them anyway, what do you want me to do for you? And they ask for sight, and they receive their sight and followed him. And in this encounter, what Jesus has been talking about, he's been talking about um, the kingdom of heaven and how it it is based on servanthood, on being a servant, and Jesus does this, always demonstrates that. Just as he's talking about it, he's doing it. He's setting aside himself to help others. We have to think like Jesus is on his way to the cross. He is on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows what's going to come. He knows about the great pain and suffering. He knows what it's going to do to him, not, not only to him, but to his friends, to the disciples, right? He's got a lot going on. He's got a lot in his head, a lot that he's thinking about. Um, and we can understand that because I, I don't know how many times when, when someone is short or someone is upset or someone is just like, we, we say what? Oh, they're, they've got a lot going on right now, right? They've got a lot going on right now. We understand. They've got a lot going on right now, okay? And so he's got a lot going on right now, more probably than any of us have got going on. He he we would totally think it was a good excuse if he just was like, I've got a lot going on right now, okay? More than you guys. But he still stops and shows compassion to those who need his help. No one would have blamed him if he didn't stop to help. In fact, most of the people, if you were looking at the passage, most of the people would have cheered him on as he didn't stop because they told him, they told them to be quiet. They rebuked them. They were like, shut up, stop. Leave him alone, right? Um, he's most likely, it's not like they're just all walking quietly and these guys are, are, are shouting out and they're like, stop. Jesus is most likely, he's always teaching. He was always talking. It, there's a good chance he's walking with all these people and he's teaching them something. He is doing something good. And you could rationalize that he's doing more good for more people by teaching all the people around him than stopping that to help two people. Sometimes we do that. We measure what's the greater good. This can help a lot of people. This can help two people. I'm on my way to the cross right now. I'm not going to have more opportunities to teach. Maybe I should just teach. And that's what everybody wants me to do anyway. But he doesn't. He stops to minister to these two beggars. Um, and in this, he again demonstrates the servanthood he's been telling the disciples about. And he, he blessed these men against the wishes of the crowd, against the wishes of those around him. And there's a lesson in this, and one I've seen played out many times. And please listen, because I don't want to confuse anyone with what I'm saying here, okay? There are times when God will tell you to do something specific to you, okay? And it's not, it doesn't go against the word, um, but it's not necessarily like, you can look in the Bible and it says, you should do this, right? Like for the specific situation. Um, there are times God will tell you to do something, maybe to bless someone, and you bring it up to those around you. Before you do it, you bring it up to those around you, and they discourage you from doing it. And it might not even be like, don't do that. Don't bless those people. It might just be like, well, you don't need to do that, right? 
um, this is where I want you to hear what I'm saying. Because this could easily be misinterpreted into an excuse for not listening to sound biblical advice from a mentor or a strong Christian elder. Okay? You should seek advice. Um, from people who know what they're talking about. Um, but, uh, but often, when God tells us to do something we don't want to do, we go to peers in the faith or people who, ha- or who don't know God as well so that when they say, oh, it's okay, you don't need to do that, you're like, well, that's good because I didn't really want to do that anyway, right? Um, but he'll tell us to do something, um, and we can ask people that we love, people who know us well but who don't know God um, better than we do, aren't what I would call a Christian elder. And, and also, like, they could be someone, like, you could, you could come ask me a question. What should I do about this? And, and I'll give you an example um, of a situation like this. And if a wise Christian elder, if, if the situation was like this, would say, what has God told you? What has God told you? Because if God has told you something and, there, and there's nothing wrong with it um, and you don't do it, that's on you, regardless of the advice I give you, right? Even being, even being a pastor, I think sometimes we like to be like, well, the pastor said, right? Um, but if, if it's something God has told you to do, you do it. And I'll give you an example. All right, so this is just a random example I completely made up with fake characters. Um, so you order food online, okay, and you feel like God tells you to put in a really big tip, okay? God's like, you should put in a tip that's the size, that's the amount of the food you ordered. I just want you to do this. But, but money is tight, right? And the people around you are like, well, I mean, just give 25%. Give 25%. That's a really good tip. That's still good. That's a still good tip. And you're like, well, you're right. And we kind of rationalize, yeah, you're right. I'll do that. Um, I, I'll just give, give that blessing of, of 25%. It's a good compromise, right? So you take their advice. But then the delivery person shows up, and somehow or other, um, maybe you know them and you know their situation. Maybe they drop something in conversation with you. A lot of times when God tells you to do something, he puts something, a number, like I want you to give that person $20. Often, you'll hear man, I just needed $20 for this or something later. You might not, you might hear it much later, but God has a specific number for a specific reason. So then they come to the door and be in, through talking with them or knowing their situation, you realize why God said to do it. But you've already picked the number online and you don't have any cash on you. You can't go back and change it, right? In, those, in a situation like that, you did a good thing but you didn't do what God had said to do, right? And often there's those critical moments, critical moments where people can see God working based on exact things, right? When I was a kid, I, things that caused me to believe in God was if I prayed for something and it specifically happened. If I said, Lord, I need $20 for this and someone came up and gave me $5, it was cool. But if someone came up and said, God told me to give you this and handed me a $20 bill, on the dot, it was like, that was specific. That was God, right? And so if God does, and, and this isn't all about money and tipping, okay? It's just an easy example of something that, that's not one way or the other, but you could seek advice of a Christian who doesn't know what God said to you, 
right? We're all accountable to what God tells us to do. Not just doing good things, but doing God things. And any wise mentor would say, you must do what God has said to do, right? You see, you're single, you see an attractive Christian, you're like, I feel like I should date that person. Any wise mentor would say, date him into heaven, do it. I'm just kidding. Um, That's the one thing I didn't want to get confused because people use that all the time. But we can't go looking for for people with less understanding um, to be able to um, have input into what God has said for us to do, okay? Um, Anytime God told me to do something and I sought advice from a peer or someone um, who knew God but didn't really know what I was talking about, I always, always, always regretted not doing what God had said. I, I, I took an opportunity away um, that God could use me in a powerful way. I, I, I stripped God of his power in that situation. God still has power, but I, I, he wanted to move in a powerful way that was poignant. And I mm, compromised and took away all the power from that moment. Okay? Um, and Jesus has compassion on them. He doesn't listen to the crowds. And these guys, I mean, you could argue these, I mean, these are God-fearing people, right? These are God-fearing people. Where are they? They're going to Jerusalem to go where? To the temple for Passover to celebrate what? The deliverance of God. And still, these God-fearing people were like, shut up. He's talking. I'm trying to hear, right? They, they can be a little focused on themselves, so, so we have to be mindful of what God has says. So Jesus, not listening to the crowd, has compassion on them and asks them, what is it that you want? What do you want? And this is the moment they've been waiting for. And we can't just assume that they've been sitting around doing nothing. Like they've been blind and they're just like, I'm not going to try anything. I'm just going to sit here and wait for a miracle. Right, Because in our culture, we might like look down for that, be like, they should have been up and doing stuff. And they were doing stuff, and I'll tell you what they were doing. The area of Jericho is actually well-known to produce large quantities of balsam, which um, you can mix in with lavender, oregano, frankincense. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> balsam, but it, large quantities of balsam, and balsam was believed to be very beneficial for eye defects. So they had most likely gone to Jericho, and Jericho had a ton of blind people there who had come there seeking help from the balsam uh, for their eye defects. So it wasn't like they weren't trying to get healed or or trying um, medicinal things. They had done, probably tried all of it, okay? Um, And who knows how many things they tried? Who knows how long it had been since they'd given up? Maybe they haven't given up right? But they're sitting here begging. They're begging just for money to get by. And then they hear Jesus is passing by. And they seize the moment. They seize the moment. This is it. This is the moment. I'm go- we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to ask. He, he's walking by. Think of like the time you have to deliberate. You know, do we want to bother him? Everyone's yelling at us. Do we want to draw attention to ourselves? I, I, but they, they didn't care if they were annoying, they didn't care if they were annoying. They didn't care if they looked dumb. This was it. And sometimes, for many Christians, there are moments that we do not seize what God has for us because we don't want to look dumb. 
We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be disappointed. And so that moment is passing by, and we don't act. We don't act on it. Um, there are things that must be done in the moment, or they will not be done at all, especially uh, with God. So too often, we want the right circumstances. We want the right circumstances. I don't, I don't know how many times I've been somewhere, and they're like, um, okay, come up if you, uh, you need, I'm just going to make something up. Come up if you need healing. You're like, well, I'm going to wait till they say something more specific, like back. And like, if you got back, come up. You're like, I'm going I'm to wait till they say lumbar, lumbar, back, L5 and 6. Then, then I'll know. Then I'll know, right? Uh, but we always wait for the right circumstances. We want to ponder these things. And we saw this happen when Paul went to Mars Hill and preached on Mars Hill in Acts 17, 32, they responded with, everywhere else he went, they went, we want to know about this Jesus. We, we, they go and they get saved, they get baptized. But, but on Mars Hill, they say, we want to hear you again about this. I want to think about this. And they talked just like that. I want to think about this. Maybe, maybe tomorrow, let me ponder. But these men could not be discouraged. No one could keep them from Jesus. This was their only hope. It was between sight and blindness. A new future or settling for how they'd been living, and nothing could keep them quiet or keep them away from Jesus. I think, I think we need to have that desire in our hearts. Like, man, things are breaking. Things are broken in me. Things are broken in my family. No, I, I don't care how dumb I look. I, I, I'm not going to be embarrassed. This is hope. This is the future. I am going to Jesus. I'm running to Jesus wish, with my issues. And these men, they were desperate enough. They've been outside begging for money. That is what they needed. They needed money. Sometimes when we have like an ailment, we might, I mean, not like you can forget you're blind. You know, people are like, you're blind. And you're like, oh, you're right. Right. But sometimes we forget our ailments because it's in the past. You know, people are like, oh, you should go up and get a prayer for this. You're like, oh, I forgot I had that. I've been dealing with it for so long. I didn't forget it, but like I, I've stopped focusing. There's so much so less emphasis on healing. I'm just, I'm just dealing with it. Right. And so what they were asking for, what was at the forefront of their mind in the moment was money to get by. But Jesus says, what do you want? And they don't ask for money. They ask for the one thing that no one else could give. They ask for the thing their heart truly desired. They didn't limit God with a minimal request. They, they went big. They, they went for the gold. They wanted it all. And they asked for their sight. No request is too great for Jesus. No request. Let's not, let's not limit God. Let's not settle for lesser prayers. I think often when we pray big prayers, we follow it up with a smaller prayer. Lord, I just pray that you would turn my sister's life around and make her, make, make her new and just, just change her life. And if you're not going to do that, just get her a good job. Get her a good job. You know? Because we already were like, and I know you're probably not going to do that. So it's like, if you could just once, just get her a good job, you know, instead of asking for the big thing, what we really want, what will change their life. We, we try to make, we're like, God, you know, I don't know if you can do that anymore. I don't know if you do big things. I don't know if you love me enough. So I'm going to ask for something smaller, right? Ask for the big thing. If Jesus standing before you says, what, did it, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? You would know. Pray big prayers, and so he heals them. He gives them their sight. 
what if, they, what if they had asked for something else? He gave them what they asked for. What if they had asked for money? Would he have given them money? Or would he have said, is there something? He, he probably would have driven them to, to what is it that you really want? Because I know what you really want. Um, and so they get up and they follow him immediately. They can see, and they begin to follow him. It's a perfect conclusion. We don't often see this in our lives, do we? We don't always see it in the Bible where, like, something happens, and then they get up and follow Jesus. It doesn't always happen like that. It's like the perfect conclusion. It's exactly the way it should be. They got up, and they followed him. They knew where their healing came from. I'm sure more was changed in them than just their sight, but that's not always how it works. It's not always how it works. I've actually seen people healed by God or encounter God in really powerful ways and then don't follow God. I mean, how many times have you prayed something for someone who, who wasn't a follower of God or someone that, you know, was just kind of on the outskirts and you're like praying for them and then it happens for them and you're thinking and you've prayed this with them and you're like, man, this is it, that they're going to realize because we prayed it. He always pointed out to them, and they still don't get up, get it, and get up and follow God. Does that happen to anyone else, or just me? So we've seen this. We've seen this in our lives. And Jesus, even though these guys got up, Jesus saw the same thing often. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump to Luke real quick, and I'm not gonna break the story down. This other one, or go into great detail. I just want to compare the reactions to Jesus and what he's done. And it's in Luke 17:11. If you want to turn there. I'm just kidding. You don't have to turn there. Um, Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So in this instance, we have a a very similar situation, except in this situation, there's ten people instead of two. They're lepers. They're healed of leprosy, but only one comes back. And it doesn't say he begins to follow Jesus. It's not even the guy who comes back. It doesn't say that he begins to follow him. He just comes back. And he comes back praising God and giving thanks. And I think one lesson for us as Christians, as people who know God, one thing I've thought a lot about this week is, am I grateful for what God has given me? And I thought about these lepers And why the nine didn't come back? Well, um, at that time, everyone believed if this type of thing happened to you, it was because God was judging you. People just thought they've got some hidden sin, and God is judging them for it. And we might say we don't believe that kind of stuff now. We know there's medical things, but, but we do the same thing. I don't know how many people I know who are mad at God because of some health issue. Or, or people who are like, I don't know why that happened to them. They're such a good person. Like, God allowed it, even though they were a good person. We do bring it back to God. We always bring it back to God. And so they, these nine could have been like, 
I feel like God owed me this. Uh, everyone's judged me. No one will touch me. I've been outcast from my family. I feel like I've had a really bad and I've done nothing to deserve it. And so I feel like God has kind of owed me it. So when he does heal me, I'm like, thank you. Now we're back. Now we're back to zero. Now we're back to zero because you cursed me and now you blessed me enough to bring us back to zero. We're fine. And I think sometimes in our life, we do the same thing. When something good happens, we're like, well, good. Thank you, God, for answering that prayer because you didn't answer the other one. Right? Maybe I'm the only, I don't do that. I'm a pastor, but you guys might. <laughs> How many times have you thought that, though? You've been like, man, and we're not grateful for the little things. And this week, as I've been pondering this message, um, God has really just made me grateful for little things. Like, I just remember I was playing Guess Who with my daughter on the floor, and I was just like, this is, this is awesome. Usually I hate it. No, I'm just, uh, just kidding. But I was just like, this is, this is a good thing. God has given me really good things really good things. And I don't know if I'm grateful enough to God for all that he's done for me, all that he does for me daily, all the beauty in my life, all the simple, simple things that I take for granted. Am I grateful enough? And I think as Christians, we should be grateful. Do you know how much more joy we would have in our lives if we noticed what we had and where it came from? It's brought me more joy this week, just being like, man, God, God, you're so good. Look at this simple thing. Look at this, look at this simple thing. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. And, and being grateful has brought me joy. And so for Christians, we should be grateful. And we should give thanks. And, and we do, we follow Jesus already. So let's get back to comparing and contrasting these two. Because I think this situation is a little bit closer to what we see in our lives as we seek to minister to people, right? Rarely do we pray for people or, or minister to people and then they get up and follow Jesus. It's more like, and one out of 10 is a good number, right? One out of 10 is a great number, if only, right? You get one out of 10. But I think this happens so often to us in our lives that we can use stories like this one to validate what has become a church philosophy on helping others. You see, Jesus always helped others, and some of them followed, and some of them didn't. And in this scenario, only one out of 10 remembered to come back and praise God for what was done. People don't always show gratitude. People don't always show gratitude. And often in the church, amongst Christians, we decide in our hearts if we're going to help someone again based on the gratitude they showed us when we did it the first time. We decide how much we'll give the next time, how much we'll do the next time, based on the gratitude that they have shown us. And it's a worldly way to think of things. It, it, it's, it, it's not how God would have us think of things. Uh, the reason this came up, as I was reading this, this uh, a commentary on the blind men, um, one of the writers wrote, ingratitude is the ugliest of sins. And I was like, wow, that's a pastor. <laughs> if I've ever heard of one, the ugliest of sins, more than murder, ingratitude. My kids are sinners, sinners. I, and I tell them, I'm like, that is the ugliest of sins. Your heart is the ugliest I've ever seen, right? And I was like, 
And I was like, that, that, that is an attitude of the church. That we look in, in gratitude as the ugliest of sins. And, and, and I'm going to help someone. But if they're not grateful enough, I'm not going to help them. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna help them again. They're off off my list. Um, but if we're doing good things, if we if we'll stop being kind to someone or stop praying for someone or stop doing something for someone because they weren't grateful enough, maybe we're doing it for the gratitude itself. Maybe we're not doing it so that they'll praise God. Maybe we're not doing it so that they'll follow God. Maybe we're doing it because we like the feeling of people being grateful to us. And if they won't give us that feeling, we're not going to do it again. This is what happens in the church. It is. Maybe we want to be praised. Maybe, and it's good to feel good when you do things for other people, but maybe we like the feeling of feeling good so much that when we do something and we don't feel good about it, we're not going to do it again. Even though God has called us to do it continually for others. God says, you need to continually do this for others. And we say, well, I did it for them and they didn't show me the praise that I wanted. I didn't get that, that good feeling inside so I'm going to do it for this person and if they're not grateful enough I'm going to move on to this person till someone gives me the praise I desire and we don't say it like that we don't think of it like that but we do cut people off from things that we can do for them because they were not grateful enough they did not show it enough and that is not of God see when the leper came back a lot of times this is, this is preached, he was, he was grateful. But it says he came back and praised God. Jesus doesn't say, only one came back to thank me. He didn't say that. He didn't say, only one came back to thank me. He says, only one returns to give praise to God. It was about giving praise to God. It was about, that, that miracle was about focusing their eyes on God. Turning them to God. That like the blind men, they might get up and follow God. That was the point. Jesus does not say they came back and thanked me. It's not about the gratitude. It's about them bringing praise to God. Sometimes we can do things for people, and the, and the point of it is not for them to be grateful to us. And it's not why Jesus tells us to do it. It's to turn their eyes to God. It's that they would give praise to God. It's so that they would see the love of God. That's the point of it, not... So we can feel good about ourselves. I've seen Christians, I've seen churches, I've seen Christian organizations cut off people because they didn't show enough gratitude. I don't feel like their thanks was enough. I got some thanks. I did. Wasn't good enough for what I, I felt I did. Didn't feel the love, right? But the point is to cause people to follow God, praise God, give glory to God. It has nothing to do with us, nothing. As Christians, we should be thankful. We should be thankful to God. We should show gratitude to the people of God for when they're gracious to us. I'm not saying we should, we should be ungrateful. I'm not saying that. But we need to change our perspective on why we do things. God brought to my attention as I was thinking of this in Luke 6, 35, 36, it says, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. He is kind to the ungrateful. 
He is kind even though people are not grateful. We cannot do good, especially in this season, especially in this season. This is, this is a season where everyone wants to do good, and people you say things like, I'd rather give than receive. And most people will say, because I like the feeling of giving, because it's a good feeling, and that's great. That's an added on bonus. But as Christians, we're supposed to give even if we don't get that feeling. We're supposed to care even if we don't get that feeling. Because God is kind to the ungrateful. And if we're honest with ourselves, we are often ungrateful for the things God has given us. So who are we to judge those who are ungrateful for for the kind things we do? All the greatness that God, all the great things God has done for us, and we can still be ungrateful, and he still loves us, and he's still kind to us. And then we feel bad, and we're like, I should be grateful. I need to focus on the things I have. And he's like, it's okay, I forgive you. I still love you. I'm still going to do more. And then we turn around and like, you're not grateful enough. Done. Moving on to the next organization. Moving on to the next person. It's not about our feelings. It's what God has called us to do. We shouldn't expect it from others, nor should we limit our mercy or limit our kindness when we do not receive the gratitude we think we deserve. As we go around this Christmas season with that feeling of wanting to give, of wanting to bless, let's do it because God has called us to do it. And let's remember he was kind to the ungrateful. He's kind to us, the ungrateful. Let's not, let's not, let's really try to, am I doing this for God? That people would turn to God, that people would follow God, that people would praise his name Or am I doing it for the feeling that I get that I like, for the praise that I get, for the gratitude that I get? Because we've been called to give regardless, regardless. And that's a high calling. It's a high calling. But it should feel better to us to obey God when it's difficult than to receive the praise of man. God says himself, he says, if you receive the praise of man, that's, all you, that's what you're going to get. But with those who do things in secret receive things from God. I want the things from God. I want my reward from God, not the gratitude of men. So as we go out, and hopefully, hopefully you have that feeling to give, and it shouldn't just be in the Christmas season. We should desire to bless people because that's what God does for us. Because God has blessed us abundantly. So let's bless others abundantly, not, not hoping or desiring any gratitude, but we do it in gratitude for what God has done for us. Lord, I just thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you continue to do for us, Lord. You are so amazing. Lord, I pray that you just point out to us all the things that you do, Lord, all the simple things in life, all the small blessings and all the grand blessings and all the miracles we overlook and all the miracles in the past, the prayers that have been answered that meant a lot at the time and then we forgot them as we focus on new prayers that you haven't done, Lord. You owe us nothing and let you give us so much. I just pray that you would help us to be grateful for all that you do for us, Lord, and that we could, we could show that same kindness and mercy that you have shown us to people who need to know your kindness and your mercy. You are kind to the ungrateful. But Lord, I also pray, Lord, for those prayers we've been praying, for people we want to know God. 
that we would not give up on those prayers or lose hope, but continue to pray, to ask the big things. You have answered big prayers before and you will do it again. And I just pray that people would see you at work in their lives and people could see your love and see your mercy and see your kindness, Lord. And that you could use us, use us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.